Hey men, my name is Mace, and I serve as the Men's Discipleship Coordinator here at FaithBridge. FaithBridge Men exists to create a movement among men in our church and our community where men can experience the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, develop authentic community with other men, and live a life of eternal significance. Our theme for the entire spring season is fight the good fight. Life is tough. It's a battle. Temptation and trial are around every corner. But on our deathbed, we want to be able to look our loved ones in the eye and say, like the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. We want to be men who fight the good fight, men who believe the true gospel and are being transformed by the gospel. This episode comes from session two of our men's study on the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. In this section of the letter, the Apostle Paul begins to describe in detail what it looks like to fight the good fight. Specifically, he says that he wants men to pray for all men, preach the gospel to all men, and pursue peace with all men. You'll notice that we stop short of the end of chapter 2. We're going to cover 1 Timothy 2, 9-15 through in a bonus podcast episode where Pastor Ken will moderate a conversation between Dr. Todd Still, Dean of Truett Seminary, and myself, representing various interpretations of this difficult passage. You won't want to miss it, so be sure to subscribe. But for now... Here is session two from our First Timothy study entitled, Fight on Your Knees. Well, I don't have to tell y'all that we are living in a time where there's division and dissension everywhere, that that all over the place, uh, especially when when you get on things like like social media, it's just constant arguing and and bickering over, over every little thing. And sadly, that culture of division and dissension has made its way into the church. And if that wasn't obvious already, the events of the last couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic have made that abundantly clear. And people have asked me sometimes, you know, what, um, you know, how has it been doing ministry during the pandemic? And, and what, I, what I tell them is, the, the saddest thing for me was seeing um, the division in the church. And you had people leaving churches left and right um, b- because of disagreement on how COVID was handled and this and, and that. And uh, the, the thing that made me sad about that, yes, it was, it was, it was sad to me to, that people that I knew and loved to, to say goodbye to them, but it made me mostly sad for the, the capital C church, knowing that there was so much division. And, and so um, if you're someone who came from another church during COVID, I'm not at all trying to vilify uh, anybody that made that decision one way or the other. But my point is it was just evidence of this division that we have in our day. Well, um, in First Timothy, as we, we talked about last week, that Paul is writing this letter to his protege, Timothy, because there's these false teachers that have come into the church and they're bringing these false gospels. And what's happening is that they are sowing seeds of division and dissension in the church at Ephesus. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage Timothy saying, fight the good fight, believe the true gospel and be transformed by the gospel. Keep fighting. So the, the question for tonight and really for the rest of our time together over the next few weeks is, okay, fight the good fight, got it. What does that look like practically? 
And so now Paul, as we get into chapter two tonight, 1 Timothy chapter two, he's gonna start to unpack what, what fighting the good fight looks like at a, at a ground level, at a, a practical level. And what we're gonna see tonight is that if we wanna fight the good fight, we have to stop fighting with each other and we have to start fighting on our knees. What do I mean by that? Well, let's get into the text. 1 Timothy chapter two, starting in verse one. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so Paul says, if you wanna know what f fighting the good fight looks like, the first thing to do is to pray for all men. Fighting the good fight looks like praying for all men. Now, he could mean every individual man, uh, and that'd be pretty crazy to think that there's what, probably three, four billion men on the earth today, but don't wanna not do something just because it seems impractical if it's scriptural, but I don't think that he means literally all individual men. I think what Paul means when he says all men is all kinds of men. And the reason why I think that is because he continues on after he says that he urges that prayers be made on behalf of all men, he, he, just, he gives a subset, he, gives, he describes a type of man that he wants to be prayed for. He says he wants prayers to be made for kings and all who are in authority. So wh why would Paul do this? Why is Paul writing this? Why is this where he starts, as he starts to describe the life of fighting the good fight? Well, as we, we talked about last week, uh, there's, there's false teachers that are, are making their way into the church, and we argued that these false teachers were pharisaical Jewish legalists, that they, they were, were uh, wannabe teachers of the law, he called them. And so uh, presumably the reason why Paul is saying this and why he's saying that he wants prayers to be made for all, all kinds of men is because these Jewish legalists were, were preaching an exclusive gospel that uh, the, the, if you wanted to be saved, if you wanted to have a relationship with God, you, you had to fit, you know, you had to check certain boxes of who you were, what your ethnicity was. And uh, to be sure, uh, a pharisaical, legalistic Jew, in their minds, the furthest person away from salvation, the person furthest away from God would have been a pagan Gentile ruler, a king or someone in authority in the empire of Rome. And Paul is saying that that sort of exclusionary gospel is the furthest thing possible from the true gospel, the biblical gospel, the scriptural gospel. And if you remember at the end of chapter one, Paul used his own testimony as an example that he said he was you know, a, a Pharisee. He used to be one of these wannabe teachers of the law. And then his life did a complete 180 when he met the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he says that the reason why that God saved Paul was not because of how amazing Paul was, but because of how pathetic he was. So that, that we could know that if God can save a man like Paul, God can save anyone. And so what, what Paul is, is, is saying is that the people furthest away from salvation 
are not the, the pagan Gentile rulers, the people furthest away from God, the people furthest away from salvation were the self-righteous, pharisaical Jewish legalists, these wannabe teachers of the law. And these, these false teachers, these wannabe teachers of the law, if they knew the law so well, they should have known scriptures like Jeremiah 27. So the context of Jeremiah 29 is that Israel has been unfaithful to the Lord, and so they've experienced the consequences of their sin and their unfaithfulness, and they're in exile in Babylon. And so the prophet Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem to these exiles in, in Babylon, and he's writing them to encourage them. And what does he tell them to do while they find themselves in exile, as they find themselves oppressed by these pagan Gentile rulers? In Jeremiah 29, verse seven, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. So these words that Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 2 are just an echo of Jeremiah 29, seven. He's saying, while you are under these, these pagan Gentile rulers, what I want you to do is pray for them, that, that we need to pray for them. Just like Jeremiah told the, the exiles in Israel to pray for their oppressive rulers in Babylon, he says, I want you to pray for the kings and all who are in authority. And it's important to note that as we, we argued last week, that this was, was written somewhere in the 60s AD and, and the emperor of, of Rome at the time was Nero who was famous for being a persecutor of Christians, who, who actually had Christians set on fire for their, their faith, who, who blamed the, the, uh, uh, a horrific fire on the Christians. And ultimately, it was under the reign of Nero and the persecution under Nero that Paul would give his own life. And while, of course, that hadn't happened yet at the time of writing 1 Timothy, Paul saw the writing on the wall. He knew what was up. But what did he do? He said, I want you to pray. And so likewise, if we want to be men who fight the good fight, we need to be men who pray for all men. So regardless of what you think of our president, regardless of what you think of our governor, regardless of what you, you think of our, our judge, we need to pray for them. We need to pray that they would enact and support policies that allow the free worship of God. We, we need to pray for them that they would uh, promote the true reason that God gave us human government to on the one hand restrain evil and then on the other hand to promote righteousness. And we need to pray for their very own souls. One of my favorite um, examples of this came from a pastor in the DC area, David Platt. Um, one day in the, the summer of 2019, he was just going about his, his normal Sunday routine and he had just gotten done preaching a message and then as he stepped off, uh, a staff member came and told him, President Trump is on the way. He's gonna be here in just a few minutes and he wants you to pray for him. And so that, at that moment, David Platt has a minute or two to make a decision. Okay, what am I gonna do? And so he decides to pray. 
And so when the President Trump arrived, he, he walked out on stage with President Trump, read his congregation, the verses that we are reading tonight, and he prayed for our president. He prayed these words. Oh God, we praise you as the one universal king over all. You are our leader and our Lord, and we worship you. There is one God and one Savior, and it's you. And your name is Jesus. And we exalt you, Jesus. We know we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your wisdom in our country. And so we stand right now on behalf of our president. And we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom upon him. God, we pray that he would know how much you love him. So much that you sent Jesus to die for his sins, our sins. So we pray that he would look to you, that he would trust in you and he would lean on you, that he would govern and make decisions in ways that are good for justice and good for righteousness and good for equity, every good path. Lord, we pray. We pray that you would give him all the grace he needs to govern in ways that we just saw in 1 Timothy 2 that lead to peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. God, we pray for your blessing in that way upon his family. We pray that you would give them strength. We pray that you would give them clarity, wisdom, wisdom. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom instruction. Please, oh God, give him wisdom and help him to lead our country alongside other leaders. We pray today for leaders in Congress. We pray for leaders in courts. We pray for leaders in national and state levels. Please, oh God, help us to look to you. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to seek your wisdom and to live in ways that reflect your love and your grace, your righteousness and your justice. We pray for your blessings on our president toward that end. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Men, we should be men who pray for all men. We should be regularly praying prayers like the one that we just heard from David Platt. And Paul goes on to give two reasons why prayers should be made for all kinds of people, especially those in authority. First, he says that prayers should be made on behalf of all men because God desires to save all men. Let's look at 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 3. This, meaning praying for all men, praying for those in authority, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so Paul says, I want you to pray for all men because God desires to save all men. Now, uh, a lot of people take this verse and, and again, like we saw earlier in the passage, they, they take it to mean all individual men or every individual person. But I don't think that that's what Paul means. I think Paul is continuing to use this phrase, all men, the way that he did in the beginning of the chapter. So Paul is saying, I want you to pray for all kinds of men because God desires to save all kinds of men, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. 
slave and free, rich and poor, even wicked pagan Gentile oppressors. Pray for them because God desires to save them. Pray for all kinds of men because God desires to save all kinds of men. And then the second reason that Paul gives for why prayer should be made on behalf of all kinds of men is because Christ gave his life as a ransom for all men. 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So Paul says, pray for all kinds of men because Christ gave his life as a ransom for all kinds of men. That he's saying that there is one way of salvation, that there is one true gospel, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that that is the only true gospel because uh, Christ is the only mediator between God and man because Christ is the only one who is both truly God and truly man. No one else is in that category but Jesus alone, fully God and fully man. So he alone is qualified to be our mediator between God and between men. Twice so far in 1 Timothy uh, Paul has referred to Jesus as Lord. And I, and I think that that phrase, Jesus is Lord, is, is, is one of those that gets thrown around so much in, in church circles that it, it can kind of lose its significance. Paul, uh, as he often does, is using language that is rooted into the, in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, God had revealed his personal divine name to the nation of Israel. But over the course of the history of the people of Israel, they, they came to revere his name so much that they wouldn't even say it. And so every time they came to the, the divine name as they would read their Hebrew scriptures, instead of reading the divine name, they would say, Adonai, my Lord. And so when we get to the New Testament and Paul and the other apostles are saying that Jesus is Lord, they are saying that in the person of Jesus, the God of Israel has come down into the world as a human being. And so Jesus is Lord. He is the God of Israel, but he is also a man, that he came to, to this world in the form of a man so that he could identify with the sin, sinful people, though he had no sin of his own, that he could identify in them and to give his life as a ransom. And so a ransom, as, as we know, is the payment given so that someone can be set free. So when someone kidnaps someone and they demand a ransom that if they get paid this amount of money, then they will let their victim go free. The, the same was true in, in Paul's days that uh, the ransom would be a sum of mon money given so that a slave could be set free. And then another place in the New Testament in Romans chapter six, Paul says that all of us apart from grace are born slaves to sin powerless to purchase our own freedom. But the God of Israel himself stepped down into his creation. God became man and gave his very own life so that we could be set free. So Paul says, pray for all kinds of men 
because God desires to save all kinds of men. And the proof that God desires to save all kinds of men is that Christ gave his life as a ransom for all kinds of men, Jew and Gentile, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, Republican, and Democrat. Christ gave his life as a ransom for all kinds of men. And so we should pray for all kinds of men. That is the true gospel. And look at what Paul says about the gospel as we continue in verse Timothy 2, verse 7. For this, the, the gospel, I, Paul, was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so Paul says, if you want to be a man who, who fights a good fight, first you need to pray for all men. And second, you need to preach the gospel to all men. If we want to be men who fight the good fight, we need to pray for all men and we need to preach the gospel for all men. This, this gospel that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This gospel that, that Christ and Christ alone is worthy to be the mediator between God and men. The only way that we can have access to God. This Christ who, who wanted to, to prove that God desired to save all kinds of men, that he gave his very own life as a ransom. So we need to take this gospel and preach it to all kinds of men. So what I want you to do before we leave tonight is I want you to write down three names. Three names of men you know, family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors, men in your life who you know, they know you, but they don't know Jesus. And as, as you, you seek to build your list, um, don't make any assumptions. Oh, that, that guy, I, I know he goes to church. Or, you know, he, he's a good guy. He may go to church. He may be a good guy doesn't mean he knows Jesus. Have you, have you gotten to know him at a deep enough level where you've, you, you've heard him share his understanding or maybe lack of understanding of the gospel? So, so make no assumption. I want you to write three names of men in your life who you do not know for sure know Jesus. And I want you to start to be intentional with them. We have some low-hanging fruit coming up this, this weekend, the, the Super Bowl, which has practically become an American holiday these days. And, and we're, we're guys, uh, especially guys who may not be uh, open to the idea of joining you for church, but they'll join you in your house, watch a football game, invite them over. One of the most powerful ways that we can uh, open doors for the proclamation of the gospel. One of the most powerful ways that we can show love to people, especially in such a, a divided age, is to invite people into our homes. It doesn't matter if you have the biggest home or the, the biggest TV or the coolest man cave, that's not what it's about. It's about inviting people in, showing them that you care for them, that you love them, that you're there for them. And so as they're at your house to, to watch the game or, or do whatever it is that you, you might do, just begin to ask questions. 
Just ask good, open-ended questions to get to know them at a deeper level than you, you've known them before. And to, to try to, you know, set an environment that is, is safe and, and comfortable, um, lead out your, your own self and vulnerability. So when they ask you how you're doing, be honest. You know, don't be a, a Debbie Downer, but don't be afraid to say, you know what? Things are hard in my marriage right now. Or we're dealing with this, this struggle with my child. Or I'm dealing with this issue at work. And as, as you model that sort of transparency and vulnerability, you're, you're going to show these, these men who you're trying to be intentional with that you are a safe place where they, they can be open and honest about their struggles, their challenges. Because I'm sure you all know men aren't usually known for having those sorts of safe places. So let's be that where we can show them that we want to know them at a deep level. We want to love them and ultimately look for opportunities to share the good news, the true gospel that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That if your life is broken and messed up, if you are broken and messed up, there's good news. We have a savior and in him we can have hope. So how do we fight the good fight? We pray for all men. We preach the gospel to all men. And then Paul seemingly returns to the topic of prayer, but we're gonna see how he's really just using the context of prayer to teach another facet of fighting the good fight. Our, our final verse for tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and dissension. And so uh, last week I, I made a point that this letter of 1 Timothy is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, that Paul is not writing to you, he's not writing to me, and that anytime you're reading the Bible, the you is not you, it's Timothy, it's the church in Galatia, it's the exiles in Babylon. However, the point that I made last week was that that doesn't mean that, that texts like 1 Timothy or anywhere we read in the Bible don't have significance for us, that they don't have relevance for us, that they don't have implications for us. The question is not if, the question is how. How is this verse relevant? How does this verse or this passage or this chapter or this book have relevance and implications and significance for my life? And, and we don't want to do that arbitrarily. We want to look for clues in the text. So in this text, we have a clue that Paul says, I want the men in every place. So that we know that these uh, exhortations that Paul is writing to Timothy, yes, they're for Timothy, but they are for men in every place. And that does include here and now. So what, is, what does he want us to do? He wants us to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And so, uh, of, of course, he wants us to pray, but he, he says to pray, lifting up holy hands. So do, does that mean uh, that we should literally, every time we pray, so as, as Kit comes up here later tonight and we pray, that we should all lift our hands? Maybe. Uh, I actually know someone who I go to school with who... Uh, wants to take scripture seriously and in his mind he says, okay, pray lifting up holy hands. I have no idea why God wants me to pray lifting my hands, but the Bible says it, so I'm gonna do it. And I can commend that, but I don't think uh, that's the main point here because 
in the context, lifting up hands when you would pray wasn't earth shattering. That was the common posture of prayer of the Jews in the day. I think the emphasis is on the adjective. He says, lifting up holy hands. So does that mean before we pray, we should all run to the restroom and wash our hands? Probably wouldn't be a bad idea, especially in these COVID times, of course. But again, I don't, I, we're not left guessing to, to see what Paul means. He, he, he describes what he means. He says, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And so Paul, the point that Paul is making about prayer is it's not about posture, it's about peace. That he wants us to be men of peace. That if you want to fight the good fight, we need to pray for all men. We need to preach the gospel to all men. And we need to pursue peace with all men. This reminds me of a teaching from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Jesus taught, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your offering. So Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, as he often does, echoing the words of Jesus, that before you pray to your father, you need to pursue peace with your brother that we need to pray with holy hands, that we need to pray uh, from a posture of, of peace among the body of Christ and with our brothers in Christ, without wrath, without dissension. So uh, a recent example from my own life, and to be clear, I am not the hero of this story. Um, there was a guy um, who had, I believed, had fallen through on some commitments and left some people hangering, uh, uh, left some people hanging. Thank you, that's the word. Uh, hangry, no. Uh, maybe hangry too, I don't know. Uh, but he had left some people hanging and it made me angry. There we go. Um, and so we had a brief text exchange and again, I'm not the hero of the story. He, he is. Um, to his credit, he said, hey, um, I, I sent some anger. Uh, can we talk about this over the phone or in person? And so uh, we did. I gave, I gave him a call, and we were able to kind of sort through everything that had happened that had led to the misunderstanding um, and, and chart a path forward and, and to be able to, to reiterate our appreciation and affection for one another. And we were able to, to leave that phone conversation reconciled. And so I commend him for being a great example of this teaching here, of pursuing peace with all men. And so to fight the good fight, we need to pursue peace with all men. And that includes, like my friend did, talking to people rather than about them. And so just as I I challenge you to write the names of, of some men in your life who don't know Jesus, I also want you 
to think of someone with whom you need to forgive and with whom you need to have a reconciliation conversation with. Because if you want to fight the good fight, you need to pursue peace. You need to be able to pray lifting holy hands without wrath and dissension. And so when you fight, don't fight with harsh words or or fists. Fight on your knees. Because if you want to fight the good fight, you need to pray for all men. You need to preach the gospel to all men. And you need to pursue peace with all men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even when we were broken and we were a mess, you sent Christ Jesus to give his life as a ransom for us, to be our mediator, Lord, to reconcile us to you, to to turn us from enemies into friends and beloved sons. And we are asking that as we pursue fighting the good fight, as we believe the true gospel and we reject the false gospels that we are bombarded with, Lord, that as we believe the gospel, we would be transformed by the gospel, Lord. And that includes um, a desire to pray for all kinds of men, even men who are nothing like us, even men who are in governmental authority over us that we disagree with, that we would pray for them, Lord. We would pray for their souls, knowing that in their welfare, we will have welfare. And that as we believe the true gospel, Lord, we would be men who are on fire to preach this gospel to all men, to anyone and everyone who would listen. Help us to have opportunities, even this weekend, as, as the, the entire country is gathered around television sets watching a game, Lord, that we would be able to have conversations that point people to deeper, truer, better realities, better joy than a football game or a beer or whatever we'll, we'll provide, Lord. And as we believe the true gospel, transform us to be peacemakers, Lord. You said, blessed are the peacemakers. Help us to be men who pursue peace with all men. Men who talk to people, not about them. Men who who forgive and seek reconciliation with all kinds of men, Lord. So the church can be strengthened. So the gospel can go out. And so that the souls of all kinds of men would be saved. To your glory and our good. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Now you'll have about 25 minutes or so to to discuss a little bit more around your table now that you've heard the teaching, continue processing our passage for tonight. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.